This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hey, movie fans, Dimitri Panos here for the Popcorn Talk Network's Anatomy of a Movie, where today we are going to discuss Detroit, the movie that launches the new distribution company, Annapurna. Stay tuned. Welcome to Popcorn Talk, featuring movie discussion, news, and interviews. Popcorn Talk. We talk movies. And now, here's Popcorn Talk's Anatomy of a Movie. Yes, it is Popcorn Talk's Anatomy of a Movie. Dimitri Panos here with my awesome co-host, Marissa <laughs> Serafini. Hey. Hello, Dimitri. Hello, movie lovers. How are yes. you? I'm great. How are you? I'm, you know, I'm moderately neato. Moderately neato. <laughs> yeah, it's all good. Unlike this film. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, um, we've got... Uh, we, 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 we our, our, our esteemed leader, the man we look up to, the man with the plan, Phil, uh, he's going to be joining us, later. joining us a little bit later. Um, and, and actually, we're starting a little bit early today because we, act, we have uh, an extremely special guest who uh, is going to honor us. Uh, we are actually having a person who was at the Algiers Hotel when this story in Detroit, which it talks about, which it specifies on, uh, she was there. Uh, Julie, if you watched the movie, which hoping that you that you did, if many spoilers. Us, if yeah. you're listening, watching, we're hoping that you watch the movie. Julie Heisel. Julie Heisel. Um, she's uh, her character was played by uh, the woman in Game of Thrones. Um, that's what I know her as. She's the woman in Game of Thrones. I don't watch Game of Thrones. Um, and Hannah Murray played yes. Julie. We're actually having the actual Julie is going to come onto the show. She's going to give us uh, some of her time to talk about the events, the movie herself. So uh, we're very honored. Uh, so that's why we're starting early. Yeah, today. and so, I'm sure she'll bring some great insight. Yeah, yeah, to the it's, event. yeah. I was very excited uh, about having her on. Then at the same time, it's such a tragic story and event. I don't want to exploit her. But she's been good. she's been on the tour. She's been with Catherine Bigelow and such, and she was on set a lot. So she'll have some insight. Uh, as always, we always start the show off with opinion. We're talking about Catherine Bigelow's Detroit. Um, so Marissa, we'll start off with you. Um, well, I went into this film knowing it was Catherine Bigelow, and she has like really heavy, hard hitting type of mm. films. So mentally, I was already kind of prepared for the seriousness of what this movie was but not in a million years did i like actually know what i was going into i don't think the trailer did a justice of clearly depicting of what the film was about i from just from the trailer i thought it was just gonna be about the detroit riots um not about an actual event one particular night Mm -hmm. um you wouldn't get that from the trailer i walked (laughs) out of this film with the big visceral reaction I never have been so frustrated at society, and this movie was two and a half hours of pure injustice and frustration. And but I think Catherine Bigelow and everybody in the performances and the writing was so good at depicting such a real raw emotion from the audience 
that I walked out not feeling good about anything. Mm. I had to watch, you know, funny things afterwards <laughs> just to feel better. Yeah. Um, I, it's that type of film. It, it can ruin it, your day. It, 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 uh... Um, but I think it, it was really uh, hard-hitting, but very impactful. Yeah, I, you know, I, I, I don't disagree with anything that you've said. It, uh, I, you know, you, you, you said something that I, I, I prepped for this movie. I sort of, I, I had this feeling just going in and reading stuff, uh, following Megan Ellison, who's the head of Annapurna Pictures. Uh, on, on Twitter and s- certainly current events that have happened that we'll talk about later, but that are as impactful today is this movie is as impactful today, I think, mm-hmm. as it was back in 1967. And I think that's why you get so angered because there has been some change, maybe not enough change, we'll just say, right? right. And that's why you get so angry. You're right, Catherine Bigelow. Uh, has made this change. Like, she's the woman who did Near Dark, a fantastic horror vampire movie. She did Point Break, uh, Kate to the Widowmaker, uh, Blue Steel, uh, Strange Days, right? So she did these commercial kind of movies, and then she sort of changed tack, so to speak, and she did Hurt Locker, mm-hmm. Academy Award, uh, and, then, and then Zero Dark Thirty, right? Yep. And then this is her follow-up to Zero Dark Thirty, to your point, I, you know, Zero Dark Thirty and Hurt Locker are powerful movies, right? But they played out like movies. And you know what I mean? Yeah. This movie was definitely observational cinema in the sense that it wasn't necessarily documentary style where I'm watching a documentary. It was deeper. I felt like a helpless observer. I felt as if I was in that hallway at the Algiers Hotel. My hands were tied, and I was being brought along. Anger building up. Shock, awe, despair, nervousness. Anything that was going on with the cameras, I felt Catherine Bigelow put me and the audience in in the center. Unlike any documentary that I've ever known, right? It works on that level. you got to be prepared. I was talking to a neighbor last night about the movie and I'm like this is not the comedy of the year like this isn't like you're going into a very impactful powerful movie Catherine Bigelow the cast I thought was fantastic Mm -hmm. everybody um listen I get it uh you know and I know we'll talk a little bit more uh but the gentleman who plays Krauss um Will Poulter Will Poulter who had me dying laughing in we're the Millers. Oh, right. Right? Mm-hmm. This kid is hysterical. He's awesome. In this movie, if he doesn't like get nominated. the worst human yes. being possible. He, and he acts. He's an actor. He, mm-hmm. you know, gets into this role. We'll talk about him. John Boyega of Star Wars fame, obviously. You know, good career choice for him. The whole cast. Like, it's one thing to be a solid director and to have this impact, right? But if you don't have the cast for which you can, like, share this tragic... Like, if you don't buy them, then it doesn't matter how good the direction is, you're going to feel a little off. You bought into everything that was going on, and you had the hope, the despair, the tragedy. Uh, It's a very powerful movie. One of the most powerful movies that, uh, you know, I... That I want to endure this year. <laughs> that I've watched in a while, yeah. actually. 
Yeah. Yeah, and and I think it's good to have it. I mean, this movie came out purposely this year for the 50th anniversary of this unfortunate event, and it's good to bring it back to the the service, and so everyone knows what happened. Um, again, and I'm always saying in anatomy shows that I like movies that actually depict events that a lot of people wouldn't know of. Sure. Or they, they shine light on something that more people should be aware of. Absolutely. And this was an event that I did not know of. Again, I mean, granted, I was not born yet. Um, <laughs> during this time, I knew about the Detroit riots because um, right. my father's actually from Detroit, so mm-hmm. I kind of knew some history about Detroit, but not really knowing about Algiers Hotel and what went down. Hey, go. okay. Um, so it. Hello. Oh, hello. hello. Hi, Julie. How are you? I'm good, buddy. How are you? Oh, I'm fantastic. Listen, Julie, uh, you're talking. This is Dimitri, uh, my wonderful co-host, Marissa. Hi, Julie. We actually were just. Hi. We we started a little early um, because we wanted to talk about our opinions. Uh, we usually start off with opinion. We're a very spoiler-rich show, um, and we dissect a movie. Uh, we talk about it as movie fans, and then after our opinion, we go into production, screenwriting, its genesis, and we were just talking about the impact that this movie has and why it's still, sadly, topical today. Um, and I wanted to say that it is an honor and, and a pleasure to have you uh, on board uh, and, and giving us some time to talk about the making of this movie and how it impacted you. Okay, well, that's a, quite a topic. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and I have to say something. When there was the possibility of having you on the show, I was very excited at first, and then I felt sort of kind of bad. I didn't, I didn't want to exploit tragedy, and I know that you've been do you know you've been on this press tour. You've been with Catherine Bigelow, and you've been going and talking with her and talking with people. And I was just starting to think and trying to imagine this must be opening up a well of of memories for you. And so you get the glitz and glamour of Hollywood and then this going on. I want to ask, how are you holding up? Uh, I'm doing all right. Um, It was an important movie that I wanted to be made. Um, I had even talked to... um, you know, my son's a writer and right. a producer in Hollywood. We're all in, in the business, the whole family. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the glitz and glamour we're used to. But um, we had even talked about doing it, and I thought it would be a movie of the week. Um, but yeah. then Mark Bowen and Catherine Bigelow got involved, and it kind of became, you know, much, much bigger. Um, so uh, it was. I was there with the filming for nine weeks in Boston. Um, My hometown. You know, she was. Oh, really? I yeah. love Boston. People were great. We we had a wonderful time. Um, the um, it was emotional because you know it's been fifty years and it's it's something I've thought about often, but um, probably never really dealt with it. Um, so. Um, there were certain parts, and not the parts I was in. It was more uh, the part that hit me the hardest, buddy, was the um, the trial mm. when the not guilty verdict came out. Yeah, and I actually had to leave set. Yeah, that, that, so that, that was that, that was the part that hit me the hardest. And I, I know it hit my audience the hardest too. I don't know about you, Marissa, but I had people like going, like just audible. 
like oh, mm-hmm. you what like yeah, the explanations anger of disbelief yes. uh, absolutely yeah. Yeah. um hello jo- julie thanks so much for joining us today um, so we know that you were a consultant on on the set, and you added, you know, your two cents here and there. But what types of things did you actually contribute to, the, well, whether it be the cast, the story, or the actual production? Like, what input did you give it? Um, give well, it to? I got to do a lot. I got to do a lot of everything. Um, of course, I worked with Mark Bowl when he was writing the script. Uh, you know, we'd have fun conversations. Um, then uh, when I went to Boston, um, I was on set with Catherine, and she said, um, you know, if, I'm, if there's something that needs to be changed or, you know, whatever. Uh, when I first met her, she said this, you know, you're coming to Boston. Well, it was Detroit then. But she said, you'll be on set. If I'm doing something wrong, you'll tell me. And I did, and she listened. <laughs> You know, I can only speak for the parts that I was in, which okay. was basically in that manor house and, you know, up against that wall. Right. Uh, but then uh, on the days she didn't need me because I'm a member of Local 798, which is uh, hair and makeup out of New York, I did hair. Oh, okay. So uh, I got the best of all three worlds, I guess. Uh, and, you know, uh, a good friend of mine was a department head hair, and um, it was the 60s, which I grew up in, right. and uh, we had a lot of old-time hair people there in Boston, so we had a really good time on those days. It on those took days. me out of everything and back to what I like to do was hair. Right. Well, which is amazing, and I'm glad you had that. Did you find any of it to be, um, for lack of a better word, maybe therapeutic for you going over this and you had somebody like Catherine Bigelow? Like you had Catherine Bigelow, although I've never met her, she strikes me as a person that cares for her cast and people very much. And she she seems to be very intent and clear on depicting things right. But with that said... Knowing that it's a difficult topic, she still has the heart and the sensitivity about that. So bringing you with being there and being able to talk with Catherine Bugalow, was there any part of it that, like, I don't know, was at all maybe therapeutic for you uh, being there? Or cathartic. Or, or cathartic, you know. Um, no, I love Catherine. Um, yeah. she, she's really an amazing person. I think the therapeutic part might have been being able to spend time with the actors. Wow. Okay. Uh, you know, a lot of a lot of directors, you know, don't want the person involved. You know, I've done movies, you know, about real people before, mm-hmm. and they don't want them involved. They want the actors to, you know, just make up their own minds of how they're going to handle the characters. But these young actors were phenomenal. And um, they picked my brain. Uh, my one daughter saw the movie and said that Hannah Murray, who played me, she thought she was watching me. Wow. Because I'm kind of a, can I say smart ass on your show? <laughs> yes, uh, you can say smart ass. <laughs> you can swear. Okay. Yeah. Um, and she <laughs> depicted that to a T. So, um, and the, the, the three boys that played the policeman, uh, the cast was just awesome. Catherine has a way of grasping people that are, are unknown. Yeah. And she works very hard on her casting. Yeah, and apparently her casting on this was a little unorthodox because she had everybody. It was all improvised, improv, 
improvisational choosing. She didn't have like yep. scripts for them. And some exactly. actors, yeah. Um, I mean, I wanted to talk to like Hannah Murray was fantastic, right? And you say you're you're a wise ass. That's mm-hmm. awesome. Her character, one of the things what I liked about her, and then I guess in reflection would be about you, is that she did stand up to things. She would question things. There was a consequence, a tragic consequence at times, but I at least appreciated not playing a victim on your part, on her part. Right. She was very, very good at that, and I believed her. Well, good, and uh, I'll certainly pass that on to her. Um, but um, it, it's still me at 68 right. years old. Um, and I want this movie, you know, I've said it in every interview, I, I, I want to make a change. I, I really thought in 50 years <laughs> that there would be a change. Uh, but there's not. I think one of the most interesting things I got to do on that press junket was uh, speak at uh, the new African American um, Museum in De- in Detroit when we went up for the premiere, um, and I was on a panel with um, Catherine and Alonzo Alonzo, uh, Laz Alonzo, excuse me, who played Representative Conyers, mm-hmm. and. Uh, Tyler, who played the boy that was running out of the grocery store that got shot in the back, right. mm-hmm. and John Boytega uh, was there, and myself, and uh, that was probably the the highlight of that trip for me. Really? Um, yeah, it really was. You know, our family is a um, kind of a study in cultural diversity. Uh, my 21-year-old grandson accompanied me to Detroit for the press junket and the premiere. Right. He's a six-foot-five <laughs> former All-American football player, wow. biracial. Okay. Um, you know, and uh, I worry when he goes out. You know, yeah. I, I, I quiz him like I quiz the 10-year-old grandson. You know, like if somebody tries to grab you, what do you do? You hold on to your bike. You know what I mean? Right. Uh, so what do you do with your hands if you get stopped in your car? I mean, it's a shame that I have to be doing that. I thought these would be my golden years and I could relax, but uh, obviously not. Right. Marissa, do you add a... Yeah, I mean, I like I understand. I, I think it is sad that society hasn't really progressed more than still with the, the societal um, fears of what you know, authority right. figures can do to us and into different races and the prejudice that unfortunately is still going on. Um, I, I understand that. So I, I hope it does get better within, you know, uh, yeah. history. In my life. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, but I kind of want to take it back to the beginning. What were your actual first thoughts when you found out that they were going to depict this story, this event of that was so impactful to your life. Um, were you on board with the idea that they were going to make a film about this, or how did you personally even get involved? Yeah. Absolutely on board. Um, they hired a reporter out of um, Detroit, David Zeman, to find whoever he could. And he tra- actually tracked me down through my high school classmates. And I got a message from one of them. There's a reporter looking for you, and I think it's about Detroit. Because it's not something I broadcast. Right. Very, yeah. very few people knew. Um, and, uh, you know, I sat on it uh, for about six weeks. I talked to my son, who I mentioned before. Right. And he's the one that made the first phone call to the reporter. 
who gave him Mark Bowl and his partner's number, and he called them and set up a conference call um, with myself and my son and Mark and Hugo. Um, and then we decided to, to go with it I, because, like I said before, it's an important story. Uh, I, I wanted it to be told not so much for closure for the the families of the boys that were murdered, but for uh, it, they were kids. They weren't doing anything wrong. Right. And, you know, some of the movie, I'm not going to say, was 100 percent correct because, um, uh you know, things are exaggerated in the sure. movies mm-hmm. to make it more sellable or whatever. We were listening to music and eating. It was a state of emergency. You couldn't go out. Uh, we were doing nothing um, that warranted what we had to get, end up going through. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's uh, it, and the movie depicts that. And, and 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 you're right. This is a part of like uh, you, you you've heard about the Detroit riots, but this this scene, this the Algiers Hotel motels just seems to be such a pivotal point that I wonder how does that almost get erased from history and not discussed mm-hmm. the way it is in Detroit. So I'm really glad that right. Catherine Bigelow, Mark Bull, people were on board. I want to ask you, uh, Karen, she was a high school friend of yours. You know, I can't remember that. You know, there's some things, buddy, that I can remember just as clear as it happened yesterday. Right. And other mm-hmm. things I've kind of like, um, you know. Yeah, no, we all have that. But we'll I, be- know we, I know we went to high school together. Right. And I know we had a lot of the same things in common, right. like music. Because sure. I, mm-hmm. I had told somebody else once before that um, we had taken off for New York to go to a, a show at the Apollo Theater when you could fly standby for $25, right. you know. Uh, so she, she was up for my adventurous side, let's say. So I, I'm not going to say I ran around with her for years or anything because I didn't. Well, I read an article. I believe it was in Variety, and it was it was it was emotional. It impacted me emotionally because if if correct me if I'm wrong, uh, she after this whole event, she pretty much went into like witness protection. She changed her identity. She didn't talk to she anybody. She changed her name. She changed her name. Yeah. And uh, and again, please correct me if I'm wrong, if I if I misread the article, but you had by happenstance run into her at a department store. And she said yeah. you there was a moment of recognition, and if uh, I'm paraphrasing, but you said she, she looked as if she had seen the ghost of Christmas past and had run out of the store. And I'm gonna exactly. assume since there was no follow up that you'd never have seen or spoken to her again? I mean, because that, to me, too, is tragedy, that a friendship could be like lost. Like you haven't kept in contact right. after this incident. Yeah. Yeah, no, she she disappeared um, after that. Uh, you know, I knew she had came back and changed her name. Right. And um, the, like, I, like the article said, uh, you know, I ran into her, and I actually talked to someone else because I'm getting ready next weekend for my 50th class reunion and uh, I actually talked to somebody there's you know core group of us that stay in touch and they said they experienced the same thing Hmm. Um, they had you know ran into her but I you know I understand she she has passed away that's what Catherine's historian has said they couldn't find her anyway yeah it's just another one of those tragic 
things that happen mm-hmm. afterwards. And, I, and I'm very sorry. Uh, I want to say again, thank you for coming. I know you have limited time. Um, before you go, what are you working on today? Uh, and and you hair, makeup. Are you working on a project you'd like to talk about quickly? And uh, yeah. We'll give you time um, to talk about I'm not about working yourself. on anything currently. I just had a knee replacement, and um, I'm getting ready to do a project with my son and Shen uh, for Ryan. Hey! That's gonna, hey! I, I know that <laughs> Ryan guy. You know, He's I'm okay. I know that Ryan guy. <laughs> we, um, I did um, Shen and Bill's first movie in right. New Orleans a couple years ago for him, uh-huh. and... Um, we're going to do another one in New Mexico. Awesome. From what I understand. Yeah. yeah. So I'm looking forward to that. I've kind of semi-retired and, um, you know, do a couple of projects a year to keep the benefits up Good. and enjoy the grand. Well, don't, well, don't uh, let uh, Ryan uh, cheap out on you. <laughs> Make him pay full. Oh, I will. <laughs> I, don't I slap him. him. <laughs> He Listen. Will. He'll pay full well, price. <laughs> <laughs> well, Julie, we want to thank you so much for joining us, and thank you so much for being brave and shedding light on this event that not a lot of people know about, unfortunately. And being brave enough to go back to your past and actually, you know, telling the story and reliving it and going through it over it again, because I know such an incident could be so impactful in people's lives that they don't want to face it. But um, so we applaud you for being brave and telling the story again yeah and make and help well, you make a better movie it just sounds yeah. with you well being i appreciate there. that thank you very much you're very um, welcome yeah so thank you for joining us yeah and if uh-huh. ever you want to thank talk you. movies and you're in la and you like movies uh please feel free to join us at any time we always I record will. on fridays thank you very much. yeah absolutely <laughs> okay. all right thank you julie thank you so much uh-huh thank you right. bye-bye take care well that was pretty awesome she is excellent that was very nice that that's Again, the courage that she had to have to be able to go on set, you Mm -hmm. know, just stirring up all these memories that may have been so buried uh, and being able to help and produce and get this done. uh, Kudos to her. Her character, or Julie in the movie, I, Mm -hmm. I wasn't kidding. You've seen the movie. She is... She's a female who actually will stand up and say, hey, what's on trial here? What's going... And you really appreciate uh, her character, um, and you feel the shock because she that character too ends up being like everybody else demeaned. And mm-hmm. the irony of it is, is because she is in that case the wrong color, because right. white women with 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 African American men white is the minority in that area. Yeah. And, but she was the, you would figure f- from being white with the cops as racist as they were, but no, they were looked down upon because and they were white they were that. women. Yeah. Not even men. They were women too, which yeah. I think was a double hitter more so. Oh, uh, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, yeah, I mean, this is a very fascinating movie. Uh, and it's so impactful in so many levels. And, you know, I just know, starting from the beginning, she really, Catherine Bigelow as the director, really wanted to take the viewers or the audience inside the Algiers Motel. So they were experiencing this in nearly real time. And that's exactly how this movie felt. I mean, we've seen real-time movies yeah. come out. Well, and it was unfortunate. I mean, I think what was actually great in how they depicted, you know, because it was a, like a full night, um, 
but watching it, it was so realistic. It made that night seem like the longest night possible. And it's unfortunate, like, what happened as we're watching everything unfold. It looked like this night would never end. Right. And that's what was terrifying about this because you just... You keep watching, hoping for that sense of relief and, you know, freedom at the end of it. But it just keeps going. And, like, you're emotionally, you're just, like, broken you're, at the end of it. You are. You're, you are. That's a, that's a good way to put it. You're emotionally broken and charged at the same time. Mm-hmm. You know, and it doesn't help. It doesn't help that we have, a, we have leadership, right, who just a few weeks ago in front of police was sort of kind of perpetuating this type mm-hmm. of behavior, uh, police brutality. Um, and it came out like a few days later that, oh, he was joking, which angers me even more because you should not joke. About you don't joke about this situation. And it, uh, Megan Ellison, who is not a very public figure, head of Annapurna and now the Annapurna Studios and Distribution Company, um, it was on Twitter and said, you know, Dear Mr. President, I I, I I ask that you come and watch Detroit. And that's mm-hmm. it. That's all she said. She wasn't like being like, you know, and then tell me because like, I think what, what you said thoughts. was stupid. She just and and this was retweeted by her a couple of times, but it's one of the few times, you know, that she'll go publicly. Uh, she doesn't do many interviews and such, which is too bad, because I think when we talk about women in Hollywood, right, this mm-hmm. is a woman who. She has she had the means to do something, and she's done something and been very successful at it. She's worked with Catherine Bigelow before, and Catherine Bigelow too. Research just seems she's right on point with this movie as far as her directing chops go. Right, yeah. Put you right into it. But she had a great cinematographer, a, a great editor. Uh, uh, Billy Goldenberg was editing this movie, and they actually used. Um, Footage from this rebellion and blended it into the movie. Which yeah, and that I, f- I, f- I thought that was actually pretty good of how um, not to like jump ahead to the editing, yeah. but um, I thought it was very smart because it is depicted on you know historical events. This really did happen. Uh, I thought it was smart how they easily blended documentary footage of like act- the actual newsreels of what actually happened when they were covering the news broadcast. And you know, um, I thought it was a nice transition from day to day. How you saw how every single day just escalated with these mm-hmm, riots. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought it was like so easily well done with such you know ease. And I couldn't tell. Like that was the thing too. Like I, it was so like it was so blended in perfectly and seamlessly. Mm-hmm. It was making me think again of the movie Patriots Day, which we talked about, which didn't accomplish that. Which you could tell that they were using because they would go to the video monitors. We talked about that here. Yeah. This movie, I couldn't tell. I couldn't tell that. Like oh, I can tell is, when they use the, the I, I, news I footage. Well, if it was one. specific news footage, but there was other footage, I just couldn't. Like, it was seamlessly put into this movie, which gave it that documentary feel. Everything up until you get into the Algiers, you know, and... um, Um, So, uh, like, just a little history for those who don't actually know. I mean, if you're listening to us, you... You've probably seen the movie, but just a little <laughs> bit more history on sure. this actual the, the Detroit riots. So it began 50 years ago Sunday, so in 1967, um, after a police raid on an unlicensed after-hours club. It, the riots lasted five days, and by the time they had stopped, 43 people were dead, hundreds were injured, 
thousands had been arrested and entire neighborhoods neighborhoods had been burned to the ground over the course of five days. These riots were so extreme that houses and people gone. Businesses. Businesses. Looting. It was was a war zone. Yeah. I mean, the National Guard, I believe, was brought in. You had their curfews. Uh, Army was brought in. And and the, the, the movie depicts... This it starts off with that, but actually too, since we're just talking about the history, the movie does something extremely unique at the very beginning. It gives us a prologue with the artist overlays at the at the very beginning, the African art, and uh, tells us about yeah. the history going into that. And 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 it was, I found it to be very unique, very interesting, great way to grab my attention. 60s style. Yep. Yeah, like you would find that art in in the 60s. And not once did I find myself being like taking medicine. Um, <laughs> you know, and Bigelow wanted to give the viewer some socio-historical background into what led up to the conflagration as well as some insight to the city's cultural landscape in 67. And having been a longtime admirer of the work of the great African-American artist Jacob Lawrence, his seminal series regarding the Great Migration seemed the right voice to describe the decades leading up to the civil unrest in the 60s. So I just thought it was such a great idea that the production company, Catherine Bigelow, Mark Bowl and such, they approached the estate of Jacob Lawrence and with an intent to blend the panels into one another. And then when time came to add texts, they were in awe of the scope of complexity of what led to this turmoil. And this time they turned to a Henry Louis Gates Jr., director of the Hutchins Center for African American Resource, and that's how they were able to get all this together. A very unique way to bring us into the story so that we're at least informed a little bit. Of the socioeconomic statics. Right. Absolutely. And then um, there was another thing, because the timing of it all and just also the mentality of the police force, um, they're... Just days before the Detroit riots, there was also the Newark riots, and where police were, um, there were some police that were actually gunned down as well. So the brotherhood between the police force from one to another were also kind of emotionally shattered too, knowing that their own brothers in arms were attacked, right. um, unconscionably so. Right. So that just knowing the police force and like their mentality that they were it, apparently that was like the New York riots where they're the last it was the last straw that broke the camel's back more right. so and they were on edge and it kind of pushed them over the edge with Detroit mm-hmm. and that happened so it was it was more extreme than it should have been right absolutely and uh, again regarding history it's like you've I've heard of it Learned a little bit about it at school, but it was very peripheral. Obviously, didn't know mm-hmm. anything going on at the Algiers. You know, coming from Boston, we have had our own racial standoffs as well. Um, growing up in the in the seventies, anyways, uh, so that's why I think that this movie is important to see. Um, you know, you're not going to come out of the movie entertained like woo, well, no. but it's a uh, more informed, more informed, definitely. and 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 again, I think with the relevance. Of 1967 and Detroit is relevant today. You know, mm-hmm. it, it, if anything, it, it 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 accentuates today's society even more so. So, do um, we want to talk about uh, a little bit about cast and casting and yeah, such? I thought because... everyone did an amazing job. Where to even start? 
Shoot. Yeah. Well. Well. You know. Um, I mean, like I and I can like throw this like far out there, um, <laughs> pr- pretty quick. I already predict a lot of Academy nominations for these acting. Yeah. Well, I think at the very least, uh, I mean, Algie Smith, who, who played uh, Larry, Larry Reed, was really good. But I think mm-hmm. Will Poulter, as we talked earlier, as Philip uh, Cross uh, or Kraus was someone who, you know, he stood out a lot. Um, the, her whole, as I, as we talked, Julie, the casting process, it wasn't your typical way to cast. Catherine Bigelow, um, she wanted to see, uh, find out how nimble and imaginative these actors were. And to somebody like Algie Smith, who's not used to that, you know, he didn't get to prepare for what was going to happen, so... His reactions to everything that was going on, as well as everybody else yeah. on set, were true. Like, real-time reactions. Right. Um, Catherine Bigelow's known for her directing stand, stand style, that she'll put actors in situations and not fully prepare them on what's going to happen, so she can get a more visceral, real-time reaction out of the actors yeah. live on set. Yeah, and, and, Algie, and it worked. Algie Smith even goes on to say, even after he was hired... Smith still found himself caught off guard since he wasn't told which role he'll be playing until a week after he reported to location in Boston. Oh, wow. Till, oh, he did not... Like, he had no preparation whatsoever. Nope. Had no idea. Um, so I found that to be very uh, fascinating. And, and the cool thing, I mean, like, I, I loved LG. He, he was great in this. Um, I really um, felt for him. Uh, he's actually uh, from Saginaw, Michigan, which isn't far from... Tr- Detroit, and I was just in that area like three weeks ago. So now I'm very familiar with Michigan. Like I said before, my dad's from Michigan, so like Michigan's kind of like my second home state. So knowing that he he was close to Michigan in that sense, he knew about the the riots, but not to the extreme that um, he should have known for. So he he even said uh, uh, about Catherine that that he wanted to be a part of this because of Catherine Bigelow. Just her alone and the brilliance of her professionalism that came with that. She's, uh, he says, when I first went to the audition, we didn't have the official script that they were reading during his audition right. process. But it was the essence of those lines that me and the casting director, Vicki Thomas, were going back and forth with. And I think that from day one, I was just drawn to the whole project. So yeah. he, he was on board from day one. Yeah, which is which is fantastic. And, and he did a good job. His Larry Reed, I think, too. Everybody's... All the characters here are touched by a tragedy and the side effects and how the after effects of the tragedy and mm-hmm. how it affected them and how it affected them moving on in the future. And to me, the Larry Reed character, because this is a guy that loved performing. He loved singing. And I love those scenes in that theater where, where, where the um, dramatics were to perform. Yeah. But what I loved about the scene is that, and Catherine did this great job of showing this theater that was a mixed crowd. There were whites, African Americans there. There was diversity, and people were dancing and having a good time. And it didn't matter the color of the skin of the people up on stage. People mm-hmm. were clapping, cheering, smiling, having a good time. Uh, Larry Reed uh, so couldn't wait to go on board, and then they don't get their chance and by the end of the story he doesn't want to perform 
anymore. Yeah, and so, I think so it's so like, sad. I think they did a great job of building up his character that he was like so full of life and mm-hmm. happy. He was happy where like he had a direction in life. He he had a goal set in mind for him, um, big aspirations. Just to literally be derailed by this one night and changed his life completely. Um, he lost that drive to perform. He, or, you know, or like be that successful artist that he could have been. Mm-hmm. Um, he, and his, you saw his views change on society. He didn't want to go to certain locations because he knew police were going to be there. Um, so just this one night literally changed his whole future. And it, you, you said the word perspective on life, and it, and it did change his perspective and who he wanted to perform in front of, even. Mm-hmm. That, to me, was very sad, too, um, because the dramatics as actually a group, and they did go on and have a modicum of success. Um, in Motown Records, a big, record, huge record label, um, but that was very sad to me at the end. Uh, and granted, there's nothing wrong with performing for the church choir. It yeah. fulfilled something in him that he desperately needed, and he continues uh, reading he correctly. He still sings in church he choir. He still sings in church choir. So um, he still is able to give his voice, and people are still able to hear him. But very, you know, he was so well portrayed um, by Algie Smith that, uh, you know, Larry Reed is is, is fantastic. Um we should talk a little bit about John Boyega. Uh, yeah, I think too. Um, I, don't, I, I I hope you agree. Such a great choice for him to do. Like he and Daisy Ridley are doing the right things by not. They have Star Wars under their belt, right? right. Everybody, that's what they know. But now they're picking these other movies to be in to produce or whatever. Such a great role for him, and to see him this way. He's the one character that, as an audience member, you go, he's the guy who's trying to diffuse everything. He's yeah. almost almost the voice of reason, in a sense. And then irony takes a twist on him, and he starts getting charged. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it, was, it was also frustrating. I mean, I think Boyega was good, but not great, in a sense, because I think he's... John Boyega is super talented that this... I feel like this role was actually wasted on him. Um, really? Yeah, oh, just I don't a, at all. it's just just a little bit because when we got the interrogation scene with him, I thought he did great in acting and mm-hmm. trying to justify and stand up for himself. But where was that in everything else in in his other moments in the film? You saw he was trying to be the the mediator and the, the more civilized person and try to keep things at bay. Um, I just felt like this was a role that could have been taken on by anyone. Really? See, I, I don't. I thought he was fantastic as the person who literally is going into a situation where he has no authority. He is of the wrong color. He could have, he could have easily like been thrown up against that wall as well. And there was nothing he can do other than he could take people and go, listen, I want to see you get out of here alive. Like mm-hmm. and I want I don't want to hear you I think and I, was, I really got involved with this character that way. I think I was more frustrated and <laughs> knowing that I, he was just there witnessing all but not doing anything about it. I mean, he tried behind the scenes or you know like behind people's backs to like help them out in any shape and form. But at the end of the day, he did nothing. He didn't report anything. I understand if you're in that situation, you you don't yeah. want to like throw people under the bus and then all come back to you. It was just frustrating to watch him witness everything and not do anything about it. I don't think he could. I, I believe I it's... Really I honestly it. believe I think that it's it hands just, were tied. I, I don't know. I had 
a hard time watching him because I felt he is a good actor, but it, he didn't utilize all of his acting skills in this. Other yeah. than his interrogation scene, I think was good. And it was also just frustrating to watch this character, again, witnessing everything, just to be charged at the end, mm-hmm. ironically so. And yeah, you're frustrated for him. Yeah. Because he's innocent and all this, yeah. and you know that. Well, he's innocent, but at the same time, he also... But see, also, and again, I, I disagree. any actor could have taken this. Yeah, see, and I disagree because I really think... I mean, maybe any actor could have taken it, but I think he, I think he was fantastic because he put that every man's type of... A, a spin on this like when he's the guy that's like okay I'm gonna I'm gonna tackle this with calm and a sense of like and, and try to be as level headed as this is possible like when he goes out to bring the National Guardsman coffee okay mm-hmm. he even tells his partner cause he's a, he's a security guard just trying watching to, over the store watching over the store so no looters come in and he, he even tells the guy he goes I'm gonna try to keep us from getting shot I'm gonna bring I'm gonna bring them in some coffee, and when he goes out there, hey guys, here's a gift. You know, this is what I'm doing. And when that one security guard goes, yeah, you got any sugar with this? Look, he goes, don't, don't push, push it, man. It. <laughs> like, and and right there at that moment, you go, he's doing the right thing, but he's not gonna be like pushed around. He just wants to say, hey guys, we're right over here. This is very this, Anything you need, I'm gonna help you. And even when he's at the Algiers, he sees the atrocities, and he knows that at any time, those cops, he's just a security guard. He has a gun. They could peg him for the shooting and throw him up against the wall, and he very well could be dead. I think that was a character where there was an no-win situation. And they did peg situation. him because of those exact reasons. At the end of the movie during the interrogation, which, yeah. yeah it was which, just, I, I think I had a hard time watching Dismukes. Um, knowing that I just felt like he could have done something more. Yeah, I, I and I think he couldn't. Uh, there was just the... But granted, I'm know, not in that situation, you know. nor would I want wish anyone to be part of that situation, so I, I understand. Yeah, so then, um, you know, and then going over to Will Poulter, who we talked about, is this Philip Krauss. He's so good at being an asshole. He is. He, like, the, he and is, this isn't his for, first role where he's the bad guy, he's yeah. the villain. And I think he's great, and I think it's also his physicality. You know, there are some actors that will only play the bad guy because they just have that look of, like, you can believe he's the villain. Um, I think he did a great job. And, And yeah, this isn't his first role. He's a bad guy. What I found the most interesting is the introduction to his character. because trigger happy. Before that. Even before that, though. Even before that, because he's he's in the cop car. And he's talking about the riots, and he's saying, he goes, you know, we could be better about this. Like, this is because of us. Like, we should be better. And I'm thinking to myself, going, wait a minute, did the trailers mislead, mislead me? Isn't he, like, the asshole in this movie? Like, he, mm-hmm. because he was talking sense. He was talking like, you know, we should try to be better. We need like to show an example. The police can do more. In the wrong way. And then he shot. Then when he shoots that looter guy in the back, mm-hmm. you're like, oh, he is going to be that. Uh, he doesn't. Like he, he's he the coward. He's the cowardly person who will literally wave around his gun and authority, which is unfortunate. And I, like I did think they did a great job of setting up this person, Absolutely. showing that he's trigger happy. He's reckless. And he's racist. It's a trifecta. And that was 
all-encompassing when it came to the Algiers Motel. Yeah. It, it was so hard to watch him. It's so great that it was hard to watch him. Yeah, and, 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 and Poulter himself admits, he goes, I, I, my biggest challenge, he goes, was playing a character who I had absolutely no connection with. And it's so, so interesting for an actor to say that. Because even when actors play a villain... They're always like, and there's a little bit of part of me in Yeah, and that, it's like, well, I can understand the motivation. But in this case, he's like, I absolutely felt no connection. I couldn't relate to him at all. I couldn't find a parallel. It was all about understanding the negative, ill-informed thought structure that characterizes such racist behavior. Um, that led to the dehumanization of these African-Americans. And... He, in fact, at one point broke down. Yeah. Um, because they were doing many takes with scenes up against the wall, and he looked at Catherine. It's like, how many more times do I have to do this scene? He goes, because it's hurting me. And you know, during a take, he during broke a down. take, yeah. And and when he broke down, the, the rest of the cast who thought that they could support, they broke down too. He goes, I was very aware of the emotional state of the cast. The toll on Will was especially great, says, says Catherine Bigelow. And sensitive to the toll it was taking, uh, they quickly shifted and they wrapped the scene and moved on. Yeah. So even for him, you can tell. Uh, and you know. Yeah, in, in between takes, uh, he had to hug his cast members a, a lot because he did feel so bad um, that he had to portray such a character towards them. during yeah. the, And filming hours are grueling. And, the, and they're um, young. These and are to young talents, yeah, too, and for to the do most it part. over and over again. Like, I'm glad that, you know, he says that um, the, it makes him look better as a person. <laughs> <laughs> and so, like, I appreciate that when they're not, like, they're, they're the person that they're portraying. So, like, I appreciate that. He couldn't be. Again, I always look back to where the Millers and he was like one of the He's shining. The po- he was weird, just quirky guy. Jericho in that movie, uh, and, and yeah, he's played assholes before, but not to this level. Mm-hmm. And again, I think the, I, I watch him and go, "This guy can act," because I don't believe yeah. for a minute. Did you feel like life. it went on too long? Did it, what? What, like what aspect? Watching Krauss derail these people emotionally went on too long. I, I'm, that's an it's 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 a hard question because the answer is yes, but I felt that the movie I, the movie was so hard to watch at times mm-hmm. that yeah, it just slowed down time in a sense because you're not having a good time watching this. That I feel it went on too long. I felt that it I felt that it was almost as in real time as possible. Uh, I had wished that it hadn't gone on at all. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, understandable. I, that, I, fe- I felt like I it, it might have went on like 10, 10 minutes too long of him just like yelling the same profanity over and over again. It, it got to the point where I felt it did get a little contrived. Like, I understand he's this kind of character. I don't need him to repeat it five times when I got it the first time. Yeah. Like, that. I felt like it went on too long in that sense that the it just got to the point where it was repetitive. Mm-hmm. Like, all right, move on. Well, you're bringing up a good point that I think we can go into in a sense, right? Since we're speaking in characters, uh, I didn't find it exploitive, and I want to talk. I want to talk about the violence in this movie because the, the violence here is impactful as well. Mm-hmm. And again, I didn't find the violence to be. I found it to be more hard hitting than it was. Um, uh, exploitive in its nature. Um, 
And in many cases, I thought the way that Catherine Bigelow handled a lot of stuff, there were there's a good example of times where she pulled away or turned the camera away. So we would hear a gunshot. Our imaginations can be a lot harsher, mm-hmm. right, than, than than actually seeing it. And that's where I the movie's brutal. Don't get me wrong, but in the hands of another director, it could have been extremely could have been more stylistic. And yeah, and there could have been more, like, you know, it's too glossy. Yeah, instead of real, and, and exactly, and I found it to be very impactful because it wasn't. It was the way that the violence was portrayed that made it very violent. It wasn't for the violence of sake of being violent. Those characters were so mean and nasty, um, and again, like the, the one person, that idiot cop. Uh, who didn't know <laughs> the stupid? Yeah, but there's one the, the the one idiot oh, yeah. who didn't know the the that death they were game playing a game. You know, and again, you don't see what happens, but I think as an audience, but you hear you, what happens, and you know. Yeah, right? you heard that body thump to the ground. Yeah, and and then him walking out, it's like I didn't think I could do it. I'm like, you did it. Yeah, you did. It's like. And it's like, yeah, yeah. And then he walks in. Stupid fool. That's what I mean. Stupidity, races, the high tension going on. Mm -hmm. Um, What angered me more, too, was there were people there. Like, you say John Boyega, which I don't think he could have done anything. But there was National Guardsmen there. They walked out and they said... Yeah, because those they didn't Detroit want to cops deal with civil rights problems. Yeah, the, yeah, like, but those Detroit, but that's, your job. that's your job. Those Detroit, there, there was a line of dialogue going. Detroit cops becoming unhinged in over there, you know. Mm-hmm. And the guy's like, you know what? Let the Detroit cops handle it. And, what? Like, like, what? You're national guard. Your jurisdiction you have is a, above them. <laughs> you have the authority. Yeah. I was like. And that's what's also what was frustrating. There's like there were people there who could have done something and they didn't. I think that's where my frustrations lies. There were people who could have done something. Yeah, who were in major authority. Um, They could have easily taken over the situation. Yeah, it was uh, diffuse the problem. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, it, it was. And, and again, that's what makes the movie very frustrating, very realistic. Um, speaking of realistic and location, so even Julie had mentioned that they had started, they wanted to film in Detroit. But you know what happened? Tax incentives went away. Yeah. <laughs> so in all of it, it all comes down to money <laughs> in Boston. They can and, get them in Boston. And we know with film magic, you can stage something to look like something Absolutely. Else. So it became fiscally unattainable. And the production was moved to Boston, uh, and filming. It's really moved... unfortunate because Boston, uh, D- Detroit, could have used that. It could have, uh, but they they didn't renew. Uh, they did ex- extensive location scouting, and Michigan did not renew its film tax incentives. Unfortunately, and you're right; they they could have. <laughs> you, well, you Detroit could have benefited from that. Absolutely, absolutely. Like that, that I mean, I love Detroit, but that city is still on and. Like on a rebuilding sure. after the past sixty years. Yeah, they, I, so yeah, it's crazy. So, but filming began in July 2016, and 52 days it took to shoot this movie, which is very you know, short. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And then it did. They did return to Detroit to shoot some exteriors and other and other necessary footage. So they went to Detroit for about a week. Um, so, you know. Catherine Bigelow uh, has 
a technique and an ingenious technique bringing it to life. Not only did she keep the cast in suspense as to what they would be shooting on any given day. <laughs> Could you, mm-hmm. I can't even imagine. Uh, you know, she and the director of photography, Barry Ackroyd, who worked with her on, like, The Hurt Locker, they utilized a unique way of capturing chaos and disorientation of key sequences, particularly the brutal hours-long interrogation. And she basically, she used many cameras. It was multiple, multiple camera, cameras. So that at any given time, the actor who's feeling what's going on, they'd be able to capture everything that they needed. And it was always in constant motion, recorded and captured the entire environment. And in fact, they had to light it that way, too, so that it looked as lit on one end as it did at the other end of that hall, mm-hmm. so that the, cap- the, 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 the um, cameras can capture consistent look. consistent look for the editor to put together, which and is I think fascinating. It was, it was uh, well done in the production aspect, because a lot went down in uh, that constricted yeah. hallway. You felt small. And it felt clustered. It felt claustrophobic. And I think they did a great job of actually depicting that small area. Uh, oh, oh, Like, absolutely. you would not want to be in that hallway at all. Yeah, and the... Suffocation. Yeah, well, and the actors were able to create their own space, so to speak. Um, you weren't acting in the scene like in a play since you didn't know what camera was on you. That's the other thing, too. The actors had no idea. They were just acting. And when you had to be there 110% all of the time, it took you out of your comfort zone, which she wanted that. And again, she has great respect for actors, too. Um, And she was just, what what she was able to capture, you said claustrophobic, Mm -hmm. you know, and you. And I think that's why it, it felt like a lot because it was a lot in such a small area. You wanted to just get out, you wanted to get out. And again, I, like I said, I, I felt like a helpless observer. And when people's hands up against the wall and their Shaking. hands were quaking, I was yeah. my hands were doing that. Uh, you I know, like, I don't blame them at all. Yeah, I was I was nervous being there. Um, again, yeah. very well done. Um, you know, you talked about narrative mm-hmm. for a bit. You know, my one piece and maybe I missed it I don't know but I know that the beginning of the movie it set up the framework with the title cards like day one day right, two yeah. right but that seemed to sort of kind of vanish once we got to the Algiers yeah and the Algier and hotel happened on the fourth day. it happened on the fourth day so that made me wonder like without con- contextual like okay so the Algiers was pretty much towards the end it didn't cap off, but there was, it was five days. Yeah, it was like the said. pivotal moment where right. it started to s- calm down afterwards. Yeah. So they sort of kind of, I would have liked, a, like, contextually, like, did the riots end with the Algiers? Did it end after? Mm-hmm. Like, how, like, I wanted a day five, six, however many days it was. All right, that's so a follow up. You know, but uh, were you amazed, again, when you said this, Julie, that you didn't know about this part of history like like what was i mean to me this seems so pivotal so what, like, what was the question did you, were you amazed that like this story is being brought to light today like the algiers hotel i mean i'm not amazed or like i applaud them for bringing it and like it falls on an anniversary the 50th anniversary i'm just right. 
I'm more amazed at the fact that no one really talked about this in grade school, in high school. Yeah, it's I mean. not an event that's that people have shed light upon. No, and it, because it is a civil story. This happened on American soil. Yeah, that's and what it, I mean. It's an unfortunate event that people don't want to talk about. Yeah. Um, it doesn't show Americans in a, in a positive way. It doesn't show Caucasians in a, in a positive light. No. And I think that's why it's been swept under the rug. But, but I will say this, um, and to its credit, there were not everybody was terrible. Not there were when, when Larry runs away, mm-hmm. he ran into some Caucasians that were like that were here that to help were you. there to help, and they were like, "Come on, man, we'll, we're going to take care of you." And there were some people who were actually like you could tell they were good people. There just weren't enough of them. <laughs> yeah, there weren't enough of them there. And also the just like the the narrative in it of itself, the facts. There was a lot of things missing from this night. A lot of details that. No one still hasn't really um, come to terms with or like uh, no factual things that could explain a lot of right. what actually went down. Like the gun. There, yeah, the gun. Where did it go? The the death. What actually happened? Was he killed before the police raided the place or was it during? Yeah, there's there were so many unanswered questions. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what this film kind of had to do. Maybe fill some plot holes, right. so to speak. But my question is, you know, watching it, because this is Hollywood, um, Hollywood tends to glamorize things or write up stories that make it believable, and you can kind of understand this could have happened, but how much is actually real and how much is not? Knowing that even some facts are still not known to this day, right? what was actually, you know, fabricated to tell the story. Yeah, and, and this is where I'll also give Detroit credit, because... We don't get a title card at the beginning. There's nothing in the advertising or marketing that suggests. It's just a story that we'd never heard about. Uh, And then at the very end, it says pretty much exactly what you said. A lot of the details happen from exhaustive research that they got. They tried to piece things together as best they can to tell the story. But they also go on to say that the events may not have played out. because there's Yeah. And, And you, we've talked about this before about movies that will come off as being true, this movie comes off and at least says dramatization. Like, we had exhaustive research. Many of the things depicted happened, but there's still things that we don't know that we just had to extrapolate from talking to people and what they say. So, at the very least, Mark Bull and Catherine Bigelow uh, took great time, care, and respect, I believe, for their subjects, for, for the people that they talk to mm. in putting this in. When somebody like Julie signs off to do this, I get the sense that, and even just shoots the real, you know, when they sign off to say, hey, yeah, I'll help you out, we'll make sure that this is right, I think that that's a merit to the creators and the producers of Detroit. Saying that because you're not going, you're not explaining right. the story. And also, I was just wondering with the narrative, and we know that three bodies were found at this motel. Um, but also, watching the film, they uh, we saw one of the deaths is because of the death game. Another one is because they just killed Fred at the end, which was unfortunate for Fred. Um, we can talk about Fred too. Yeah, but then I another one, like the first body was Carl. 
when oh like and i think that was the mysterious one with the the knife so right. you you see how the film depicted how at the end of the night there was three dead bodies right. but how much of it was actually true like and that's how they died again you did have a count that there were it's like you had a count that there was there. three at the end of the night that right. were dead but how did they actually die was yeah. that actually true um in the narrative that that's what i'm saying yeah the film showed their deaths carl is a question mark the person still a question you know the 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 person uh in the room where that idiot cop shot him i think because there are at least audible witnesses who are still up against the wall and uh, i read that that one during the death game um actually like be between like interviews and people um, who witnessed or like heard it, mm-hmm. um, said that he was actually beaten to death um, by blunt force of an actual rifle that was unlicensed. Yeah. So yeah. It, it was just it was another unjustified death, an yeah. unexplained death too. But the the movie showed that he was just shot due to the stupid death game. Right. Right. But again, you know whether it's a beating, which I think he, a gunshot. There's a fan like you can a beating could have taken a while. I like I don't that and who's the the character you wanted to talk about? Fred. Fred. Yeah. Fred. Let's talk Fred. Jacob Latimer. I think he he's a good actor. Um, he was great in Collateral Beauty, which is a fantastic movie that no one watched but should. Um, so I, I was pretty pleased knowing that he was in this film. I thought he did great, and um, he he was that friend who was just doing his job and he was there being loyal and. You know, standing up for himself and standing up for what's right only. And I was rooting for him. I was rooting for him Me and too. Larry throughout this whole film. Me too. And I actually did think Fred was going to make it until the, the end when he actually stood up and knew the truth. He was yeah. like, no, we can't get away with this. And unfortunately, he didn't. Yeah. It felt so bad for him. And it's one of those things about consequences for doing the right thing. Like, mm-hmm. it's no good deed goes unpunished like he wasn't gonna lay low for this and that too was another tragic everything about this movie is tragedy but it was a tragic injustice too and yeah and and he was he was a character that you root for Mm -hmm. as was you don't want anybody in this situation to not make it out even even characters whose names we didn't really know yeah, they were just staying at this Algiers. Um, you know, Julie's character, uh, as played by uh, Hannah, she too was a character that um, it was just very difficult to watch. These two women who were there, they're out of money. They were just staying there, having dinner, dancing, as she said, and just to be dehumanized for being white women at a majority of like an American hotel. Yeah. And, and they were being oh and it was, it, was it was unfortunate and uh watching these women because they were just there, it doesn't matter who that they were hanging out with. Um <laughs> but it was frustrating to see Caucasians like already labeling them as sluts, as whores, like the, for just being in the being environment there. that they are. It's like you don't know who they are. You don't know what they've been doing. Especially when you get to, you know, green. The the army green. Um army man right. green. Um you know, played by Anthony Mackey. That yeah. people are calling them this 
just because of where they were located. Right. Like, no. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's just, uh, it was staggering, shocking, sad. Um, you know, when we talked, you know, uh, not a few minutes ago, we were talking about how this incident is not known and how it's not, you don't learn about it in school, you rarely hear about it. You know, and Catherine Bigelow is in the same boat. Um, we really, she had no idea of these Algiers motel killings until Mark Bull pitched the idea of making this film. And I think that's basically what caught her attention about this, going, how can something that, that's somewhat pivotal mm-hmm. as to what's going on and still relevant today, it was, it was relevant in 2016 when they started filming, um, I just find that that... That, too, when your director, you know, comes out, because you think that the director is going to know everything, but part of what's sparked her fascination No, but we're, we're always talking about movies where even the directors or the writers didn't know about certain events, and they, they're they so moved by what happened that they feel the need to talk about it or, or right. show it. Um, so, I mean, it makes sense. This was an event that was unfortunately swept under the rug. Right. So um, we talked about Boston. We talked about filming in Boston. Um, basically, the biggest, believe it or not, the biggest challenge uh, was to create or recreate, I should say, the Algiers Motel. And it's annex. Now, the original has since been torn down. Uh, and the annex interior was an amazing find. Uh, it was a rectory that was very similar and good sh- to shoot in. They use a rectory, which is, you know, again, movie magic. (laughs) Right. Um, The main motel was also a good find because we had to restyle everything. They built a pool. Um, They built another wall, a giant neon sign, custom built. They changed every door, every knob, every sign, creating a period look. Uh, It's complicated. A lot of it involves altering or hiding things you don't normally think about, like, Mm -hmm. um, say, a street sign. Fire alarm, a parking meter. Yeah. <laughs> so it's just endless. That, too, I felt from a production design and from a costuming standpoint, I thought that they did an amazing job. Even the way Catherine Bigelow filmed this movie, I felt as if the movie were filmed in 1967. Detroit. That they were Detroit. Yeah, I thought, like, visually, and it was on film, 16-millimeter yeah. film, um, I felt... When you watch them go through the streets, it was nitty gritty. It was raw. Um, it, it was colorless. There was like really no happiness or joy there. No, but I also felt that the film looked as if it was filmed using the technology of the day, mm-hmm. um, which to me lent to the realism of of, of transporting me there. Uh, and I thought that that was a really great. It was great. It helped, well, definitely for the atmosphere, because it didn't look clean and polished and digital. And, no. and I don't know that they can fix all that stuff, but it lent to the realism yeah. of at least, you know. It felt like you were actually there. Yeah, absolutely. So um, now Catherine Bigelow, in talking about coming on to see this, you know, she even has gone on to say, you know, I thought, she says to her, you know, she was saying in an interview, am I the perfect person to tell this story? And she admittedly said, no. She goes, however, I am able to tell this story, and it's been 50 years since it's been told. Mm-hmm. She's taken some flack for directing this movie. I can understand that. For, for not being African-American, for being... Like, not being a woman. male. Yeah. 
And just that alone. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> and I'm like, you know, it shouldn't matter. Mm-hmm. Race, color, creed, male, female, what your sex is. It shouldn't matter so long as you can share, shed light on it. Yeah, and you can't tell me that seeing this movie, like if you had no idea who directed it, you can't tell me that you wouldn't be impacted. You can't say you're not impacted by this movie. Yeah. Male or female, right? And this is a movie, too. We've been talking about it a lot. Female director directing this this movie, telling this story. She told Zero Dark Thirty. And again, Zero Dark Thirty also had the benefit of Jessica Chastain. Yeah. Right? Like, you can... Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, go for it. No, no, no. But I'm just going... But you had the benefit of Jessica Chastain, so you had a strong woman character in Zero Dark Thirty who's piecing these things... A smart woman character, right? Yeah. Her locker... Had no female character that it was it was it was men, but it was directed by a woman. But you can't tell me that you weren't drawn into the suspense, the danger, what's going on. It, it shouldn't matter. There were women in this movie who weren't treated unfairly, but many people weren't treated unfairly. To say that Catherine Bigelow wouldn't be the right person to do this, where I would say. No, I think she's proven that she was exactly the yeah. right person to direct Detroit. If not the best person. If to, not. To show it. Agreed. And more people should be talking about Catherine Bigelow's Detroit. I know it doesn't say that on the credits, but she did an amazing job. She doesn't need Hollywood. to. Like, she doesn't need to put her name on the masthead. She's not no. that type of director. No, no, she's not. But I'm, what I'm saying is, look, money talks in Hollywood. There's a hypocrisy. Saying, like, if this movie made more money, but we should, we need to champion people like Megan Ellison. We need to champion Catherine Bigelow. We need to champion these women who are doing these creative processes and doing it really well. Whether it makes a ton of money or not, just mm-hmm. like, you know, the people around Megan Levy and things like that. Yes. We need to talk about this more. You know, and not that Catherine Bigelow wants the limelight. But she did such a fantastic job that she should be given a lot of credit. And many people should be bestowing upon her. Good job, Catherine. You're really paving a way for other women who want to direct maybe these kind of movies or documentaries. Who cares? Perpetuate. Perpetuate the feeling. That's all I'm saying. So, um, you know, she's, uh, she's had quite thus far an amazing career. Yeah. Right? Yep. So, you know, and... She's turned down. You know, she was... I didn't even realize this. She was asked to direct a James Bond movie. Hmm. Once, right? Which I... I'm all in. I think she'd do a great job, right? But she's like, my own personal concerns are at the service of the importance of a movie tells. I'm compelled to make emotionally, socially, politically challenged pieces. That's what intrigues her. That's what she wants to do. And I've said this. How come she doesn't do bigger... She can... She, she, she can, can, but does she, she want to? That's yeah. the question. Does does she really want to, or does she need to? Absolutely no. not. Nope. Um, I say go for her. You know, you're good for her. I mean, she can choose whatever the hell she wants to do. Good yep. For, and to this her. day, she's it. still the only female filmmaker ever to win a Best Director. Best Director. Right? I'm all for it. And so, interesting stats. It's not just lack of awards. It's in female filmmakers are given few chances to... To ply their craft. Last year, women comprised of 7% of all directors working on the top 250 grossing films domestically. 2% dropped from 2015, uh, according to a San Diego State Center 
for the study of women in television and film. Yeah, the numbers so, are astronomically different with men and female, and it still has been. That's another thing in history that I want to change, was that we had, um, you know, there, there's so many men in this industry, I mean, right. which is fine, but we just need more women. We do. And I think and they're we, out there. But, like, women also need to be given the actual opportunity. That's the thing. That they pe- need that to they're be... they're not given. They need to be handed the opportunity. You're absolutely correct, and that's why I'm saying more people should be championing... I know Detroit's not the easiest movie to sit through. It's not. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're right. More There are women out there who I'm sure are dying for an opportunity to, to, to do this, to work in some capacity, whether it's director, cinematographer, editor. Yeah, well, that was the great should. thing about Megan Levy. Most of the entire production were women. Like, the story was about a strong female woman... And, and like within the military of all places, the military, uh-huh. and the actual production was like you you see pictures of the production crew. It's mm-hmm. like you only found a handful of men, and yep. everyone else was women. Yep, yep, so yeah. And we, and, we champion the, and we champion that champion movie very that. much. So um, yeah, I still champion it to this day. And and I will always champion Catherine Bigelow. Twenty three days since that comes out on DVD. <laughs> I've been counting. So um, so going back to Bigel, Bigel, Catherine Bigelow and her uh, shooting style. The Algiers Motel sequence too is something was literally was, was shot in in chronological order, so which makes Good. sense. You can see yeah. the slow, you know, uh, downward spiral spiral of everybody. Yeah, and 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 again, this this may sound sadistic, but you know, she wanted her actors to experience what it might have felt like to be tortured and pummeled with racial epithets for hours using a style she first adopted with her locker. So, you know, she's using all her styles, and she's she's still, like, a good creative person will still learn along the way and take what they've learned into their next project. Um, so mm-hmm. she didn't block a scene for the camera by plotting out a series of close-ups and wide shots, which I find interesting, instead filming everything in a few takes to keep the emotions as raw as possible. Good. Which worked. Yeah, it, it definitely showed. And and um, a scene huh, may not. It was probably was it wasn't filmed chronologically. But I want to talk about the courtroom scene, Ugh. which we talked about. And this was uh, also. I mean, we know Catherine Bigelow's films are super super long. Um, right. I think the whole, the whole second half with the Algiers Motel, it was great to watch, and it was like such an emotional struggle, like getting through it. Then it cut to black, and it faded to black. It did. Um, I'm like, to show okay, that that act is over. finally. Um, but then it opened up for the whole trial. So, like, I legit had this thought. I'm like, oh, my God, now we got to watch this. The whole third act of the trial is like, you just got out of the, the worst night watching, watching what happened. And now you have to go through a whole third act watching the downfall of that and and the reception of that. And, like, motion, emotionally, as an audience member, I didn't want to watch it. Yeah. It, it was hard to get there knowing that, like, crap, now i got to watch this. Like yeah, I had that wasn't... actual thought, which is unfortunate. I mean, it's good to know like what they went through, the 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 you know the the feedback of the or not really feedback, but all the action steps that the, they had to go through to get right. that justice and injustice more so. Even getting through the third act and realizing that they were all the freaking cops were innocent. Um, or, or found not guilty. That was even more frustrating to watch too. So it... I just emotionally was not there to watch the third act. Yeah. I, I was mean, already spent. I was spent. I was glad that the scene with the Algiers was over. 
it gave me a little breathing room, but then we get to the courtroom scene. Now, the courtroom scene was frustrating on so many levels. So um, I'm not a lawyer, okay? Uh, you know, I will say I, I believe I have a good sense of right and wrong. I, I have some semblance of a moral compass. I've seen a lot of law shows on television and movies, but the prosecution seemed so inept in their job. When John Krasinski, who, like, again, just that's as, awesome. as the sleazy lawyer. Like, and he's so lovable. <laughs> I, I, yeah. It was hard to watch him being <laughs> another just, like, asshole like, in this. Yeah. And I was like, we don't need, sorry not to sound terrible, we don't need another white male being an asshole yeah. after and, all of this. I was like, that's the last person I want to see. I'm and, sorry. But when he was interrogating, or he had people up in the witness stand, People from the Algiers. Mm -hmm. And he started bringing up, weren't you in prison? I was like going, when's that other lawyer going to start like, objection, your honor, that has nothing to do with the case. Objection. I wanted flags like like in a football game. I'm like, what the hell are you doing? This has nothing to do with the case. And when, when Larry finally gets up and goes, who's on trial here? I was like, oh, good God, thank you. Somebody's speaking up. But again, it shows like this guy is also now still dehumanizing these people who yeah. are going through t- trial. Yeah. They're the ones trying to find themselves innocent because they were, but also dehumanizing them on the stand in front of everybody else. In Just like public humiliation. It was, to your point, it was another semblance of, it was, it was not rhetorical, it was um, verbal violence. Mm-hmm. They were being dehumanized. They were like being, they were being, their past was being brought up, which had no relevance to what was happening in court. And their stupid lawyer just sat there and didn't defend them. Yeah. And it shows that they weren't credible enough to believe that they were innocent in this. Exactly. And when Larry has that, that monologue, he's like, Who's, who are you defending here? And he says, like, fuck, fuck this. I'm yeah. out. And not only did the people in the court cheer up, I saw it uh, at my local theater, which is predominantly African-American. They were like, yeah! <laughs> they were like... And I, too! I mean, finally somebody spoke up. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but was it a little, little too late? A little too late. They weren't going to buy what he said. I think the die had been cast. You yeah. already knew where this was going to. And what makes it really so sad is that, to this day, Mm-hmm. This stuff still happens. Yeah. <laughs> and this was 50 years ago. It still makes happens. me sad as a human being. And yeah. angry. Like I said, literally from the top, to top of the show, that it's such, it's a two and a half hour of pure injustice and frustration. It is. And I tried to get that across from my neighbor. He goes, oh, I'm going to go see it. I said, all right, I just want you to be warned. Good luck. Yeah, because this really is a movie that... Uh, you know, we'll, 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 let's talk to. I want to talk about marketing because this is a hard movie to market. I want to talk about numbers. Um, you know, it's it's a hard movie to sell. The other thing too that I'm a little bit surprised that this movie was released. We're still in the summer months here. Mm-hmm. This isn't your typical summer movie. No, this is an Academy Award uh, movie that'd be right in November. You would think, right? Mm-hmm. The November, December. Yeah, Academy uh, Award season. Yeah. Especially from um, Catherine Bigelow. Absolutely. Yeah. It's a tough movie to, to release in the summertime. Like, 
around mm-hmm. tent poles on both its back and front side. Like, but I so, get it. It's the 50th anniversary, so mm-hmm. they had to release it around that time. I understand. And so its release date, they, 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 they took a Zero Dark Thirty approach. They took a page, so they, they released it limited on July 28th. And then August 4th, it went wide. So mm-hmm. its production budget was about $34 million. So Annapurna, as I said, this is the launch for a new distribution company. Uh, by distribution company, Warner Brothers is a distribution company. Uh, uh, STX is a smaller. Lionsgate, mm-hmm. these are all like they distribute movies. It's tough for a newbie to come into the marketplace with all the competition going around. Uh, and, and there's so much competitiveness for getting screens. So this is what kicks off Annapurna. Megan Ellison heads this, as I said. So they probably spent about 50, maybe 55 million, good guesstimate, for all in, for marketing, um, you know, the, 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 the hard drives, advertising. Uh, advertising and all that stuff. Um, you know, and again, going back to, to digits, you know, the movie... The movie opened its limited opening weekend. It did three hundred and fifty thousand uh, dollars. It was in twenty thousand, uh, no. twenty theaters. So um, it was at twenty thousand and uh, no, twenty theaters. Twenty theaters. I'm sorry. And then we had three hundred and fifty thousand dollars. Okay. Yeah, and then it opened wide and at the three thousand, three thousand theaters, which that's a good amount. It's um, a, yeah, and so the wide opening weekend was about seven, seven million. million. Yeah, and thus far, uh, as of August tenth, ten million all in. Yeah, that's. Not small. Great. It's small. small compared to being in three thousand theaters and finally getting wide, and but I also mentioned that the trailer didn't didn't shed light that this was about the Algier motel incident. I wanted to talk to you about the trailer. Like I I was so you know when we talk about there are some trailers that show the whole movie and some that don't show right. the movie at all, <laughs> and I think that was the latter in this situation. Right. Um, just getting off of the trailer, what I, I got from it was that it was just about the Detroit riots and getting through the nights. Right. Um, and getting through the violence that uh, what happened. But not once did it actually show it was about the Algeria Motel at all. Now, that's an interesting point because I didn't know it was about the Algiers. I knew it was a story that I hadn't heard because they say that in the trailer. Um and there is an article in the Hollywood Reporter that talks about Detroit marketing leans more, quote unquote, to this article, horror as a sell. And, you know, it goes on to say, discover the truth behind one of the most terrifying events in American history. And it's, it was the ad for Detroit. But like you said, um, it, it more minds nail-biting suspense like a get out yeah. <laughs> than it did... This is a different nail-biting suspense. But to your point, too, Mark Bowl, this, this goes on. He says, I don't think it's quite a bait-and-switch. Um, but story it is. is sort of. I <laughs> but mean, it is. I, well, I knew the riots existed. I didn't know that it was, like, it was going to be this intense, like, mm-hmm. or where, you know. But I knew it was going to be about the riots. I knew it was Catherine Bigelow. Um, the the but. In an, in an essence, the riots were just backdrop of the story. Correct. It's just the time and location of where they are. 
Right. That's it. But that's unfortunately what the trailer only showed, that it was just about the riots and not yeah. about an actual one singular event. That took place during the riots. Yeah. yeah. I thought, yeah. and um, That's what's I don't necessarily, I didn't feel like the bait and switch that you did. I knew it was going to be hard hitting because it's Catherine Bigelow. Mm-hmm. I had to prepare mentally because, I don't know, I, I try to go to movies to be entertained. And I know that this movie was going to be a gut punch to what you said earlier. I didn't expect it to be as much of a gut punch. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you walk out depressed was, and angry. Yeah, I was you angry. too. And, and to be honest, if I don't see Detroit, Detroit has stayed with me enough. I don't need to own it yeah. or see it again. No. <laughs> I don't like who right? would really, honestly, not to sound terrible, who would want to see this film again? Yeah. I mean, other than no. for artistic purposes, maybe. Purposes. Or like, I think schools should actually invest in this film. There and show go. it to their students so freaking students can learn about the history. Yeah. Um, and we talked about it like that haven't been Megan Levy's. Like, this is a story that people should be tell- talking should about be. and teaching schools. I, I think this is one that could be taught in history lessons. Uh, yeah, I, I agree with you 100%. Um, Only for that reason. Rotten Tomatoes, 85%. That's high. So, which is high. Um, Cinema score, A minus. Which is, again, very high. Very high. And I wonder. It makes me wonder, like, where who they were polling. This? Yeah, who um, saw this? But it doesn't matter. I mean, it is, like, I'll say, okay, I'll give it an A-, minus. but it's it's a movie that, even if it's on, like, HBO, like, within eight months to a year, mm. I might turn it on to see what part, but then I'm going to I'm gonna go find a James Bond movie that's on or something else. Mm. It's a hard movie to I'm going to go watch through. Friends or something. <laughs> right. It's that kind of movie. So you were talking Academy Awards legacy. Obviously, it's not going to be. It's not a franchise picture, yeah. which is a breath of fresh air. I'm definitely safe with the acting and directing. Yeah, I agree. Maybe some tech specs as well. Mm, I mean, like we've seen other war films, other action films that had better mm-hmm. uh, technical technical sense. You know, whether it be acting or you know visuals. Um, I don't like cinematography. I don't really think it's no. I. Watching it literally in the first 30 seconds, I, I really kind of, I don't know how I really thought about this, but, I, like, Catherine Bigelow is so handheld. I was like, oh, crap, it's that kind of movie. Um, I, I also had that thought. I was like, oh, man, it's going to be two and a half hours shaky cam. It's going to be, like, just visually hard to watch. So I don't think it's going to be one in cinematography in that sense. But definitely acting. Yeah. Yeah, I acting. can see. And, and, Everyone and again, stood out except for Jumper. I didn't find that... Uh... Uh, and again, I, I, I will disagree on John Boyega. Uh, I somewhat disagree regarding cinematography because I thought I thought it blended in with the time period that it looked as if it were using technology of the time period to make the movie. The shaky cam, I didn't find it to be. I think Dunkirk did, did better cinematography. Yes, than I mean, and Detroit Dunkirk's did. a different movie. Yeah, um, you but know. for cinematography, technical sense, I yeah. I also predicted in Dunkirk that yeah. that'll get. Nominated for a cinematography. I don't think yeah. Detroit will. Yeah, I, I'm not. But the cinematography was not bad in Detroit. I appreciated it for how it looked. Um, being it looked like a 1967 movie and how it put me right in the center of things. It's legacy, as you said. It, it's not a movie. Uh, it's a very powerful movie, and I agree. Schools should see it. I think this should be depicted or, or at least talked about in history nowadays particularly now. Mm-hmm. I think politicos should be watching this movie. 
I don't think that this is a topic to be joked about. No. Um, so that is an aspect of this movie that I think is very important. Um, so we'll see what happens, you know, if people will remember it uh, coming into the award season, what else it has competition with. I wanted, to, I wanted to throw out a question to you, too. What I was very surprised about the courtroom scene, and this is another one of my little nitpicks, at the beginning of the movie, our Cruz character, right, and again, I understand he's an amalgamation of people, so maybe this is why, yeah. why it couldn't follow through at the end. If this was a character that was being brought up, like his commissioner, that gentleman was that was questioning him for what right. he did to the looter, he even said, he goes, listen, mister, I'm bringing you up. He goes, I'm going to recommend that you be brought up on murder charges. Mm-hmm. And I was like, how come that doesn't play in towards the end of the movie? Right. Like, how, how, how do you come forget he that? Did, like, well, he, did he take the stand and go against his own cop? Like, like that would have been great. Yeah. How, like, like what, putting his two cents in knowing that this guy is trigger happy. Yeah, but, you know, again, being he's an amalgamation, yeah. I was figuring why, but that was sticking in my head going, this guy was being investigated for murder. He's going right. to be investigated for murder. So it is a very tough movie to see. But kudos to Annapurna and their first movie out of the gate. May they continue, mm-hmm. uh, may they continue to uh, release movies. And uh, so uh, any final thoughts? Um, I'm, I'm glad I, I know more about this story. It's sad yeah. when you have to learn about something as tragic as this and know that injustice and... And you know, history repeats itself. Like history still continuing, and it's. I just hope that America and all over the world, really, that situations like this don't become as extreme as they were back then. And how like we just need to change. We need nice. to. As I know, it's easier said than done, but it's just unfortunate that prejudice and discrimination. It's still a big abuse issue. of power. Yes still a problem today uh-huh and i think that's what makes it relevant like if we didn't have this if this was all if it had all disappeared you'd look back and say wow history are we so proud that we've come this far but we can't really necessarily say that in mm-hmm. this situation like in these types of situations we can't say well 50 years have gone by look how far we've gone that's what to me makes detroit relevant and depressing and 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 gut punching today but people need to know about it yeah people agreed. need to know about it agreed so uh hey folks thank you for joining along uh hope you enjoyed uh our special guest julie uh she was fantastic she was great it was a really great thing a person who was at the algiers who suffered the indignity and the tragic violence that took place there uh, she was a fantastic guest and very, very thankful that she came on, to be honest with us. Uh, that was very nice. Uh, we hope you enjoyed it. Tell us what you think of Detroit, or what you thought of Detroit. Um, would love to know, uh, what do you think about its Oscar chances? Did you enjoy the performances? Are you with Marissa about John Boyega? Or do you think with me that I thought he was actually pretty good as well as everybody else? Who did you like, maybe disliked in the cast? Share them all. Go online. Say hey. Um, we'll write back. So we want to say thank you very much for joining us. We've got plenty of more movies to talk about. Yep. Now we'll so be talking many. Dark Tower. We'll be talking Annabelle creation. Yeah. <laughs> We've talked about Megan Levy. Go watch We've the We've talked about Megan Levy. That's you know, feel and, good. <laughs> yeah, and go see a feel-good movie after this. Yeah. Um, but but uh, we want to thank you for joining us. 
And uh, until next time, see you at the movies. Bye. From producers Maria Menounos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the rest of the Anatomy of a Movie staff, we would like to thank you for listening and subscribing to the show. If you have any questions or comments, feel free to email or tweet us. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been Anatomy of a Movie.